the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And Merry Podmas, everybody. It's that time of year once again where we take on films that are all things Christmas. And for our first Merry Podmas selection, we're going into the realm of musical horror comedy. This isn't Disney, it's Anna and the Apocalypse. It's our first Merry Podmas episode for 2022. We're covering five movies across this miniseries. The first of which is 2017's Anna and the Apocalypse, directed by John McPhail. So Anna and the Apocalypse is a bit of a festival darling. It did quite well on the festival circuit in 2017 and 2018. My first viewing of it was at the Abattoir Horror Festival in 2018 and it was the closing movie. And then it had a theatrical release and now it's available on physical format and also on Amazon Prime uh, included with the subscription and also on Shudder as well, which we will talk about later on in the episode. So the plot of Anna and the Apocalypse, here goes. A zombie apocalypse threatens the sleepy town of Little Haven at Christmas, forcing Anna and her friends to fight, slash and sing their way to survival, facing the undead in a desperate race to reach their loved ones. But they soon discover that no one is safe in this new world, and with civilization falling apart around them, the only people they can truly rely on are each other. Now, this was a very interesting piece of film to watch, post-pandemic considering this came out before COVID-19 and all the lockdowns so it was quite uh, timely in a way to rewatch this. It was yes interesting genesis to this movie as well and uh, quite a tragic one as well because this was taken from a 2010 short called Zombie Musical and um, Zombie Musical was the brainchild of Ryan McHenry and when they were planning the feature version of this based on Zombie Musical, Ryan McHenry was diagnosed with osteosarcoma and unfortunately passed away in 2015. But his co-writer, Alan MacDonald, continued with the project, drafted another version of the screenplay, and John McPhail was brought on board to direct. Apparently the first draft of the screenplay after Ryan's death was a lot darker than what ended up in the finished product and MacDonald has said it was due to losing a friend that it gave the first draft of that screenplay a much darker edge. It's still fairly dark in places, it's much darker than you think it's going to be but there's enough joyous musical moments to turn this rom-zom-com 
into something a bit special? Yeah, there's definitely a melancholic feeling to this film. Even though in a lot of ways it is a crowd pleaser and it's very enjoyable, there's some great songs, the cast are brilliant, but it does leave you kind of feeling a little bit deflated by the end with the turn events tape, really. It's like there's no kind of real sense of hope throughout the movie once the apocalypse hits, so it has very bleak undertones. But at the same time, it you know is a musical. It operates as a musical, and you know it has some laugh out loud moments and dark humor in the mix as well. So it's a very well done one. I would probably describe it as Waterloo Road meets the Buffy musical. <laughs> I know that's a weird thing to say, but it's like a very British school setup, and I think that's what it reminds me of. Like if something like Waterloo Road was a musical and had horror elements in it, this would be it. And I think some of the inspiration was from the Buffy musical episode, Once More With Feeling. And I think there's elements of things like Rocky Horror as well. There's that kind of anarchic tone to some of it. But I think in general, the tone is balanced quite well. It does veer from quite silly to quite dark, but it doesn't feel like it's losing its grip on anything. It knows when to be stupid. It knows when to be serious. And of course, the songs are peppered throughout the proceedings. And there are some really good parodies of Christmas songs in there. There's the Marley Sue one called It's That Time of Year, which is a very, very clever Santa Baby ripoff with some absolutely disgusting lyrics in it. Yeah, I think that is probably one of the film's funniest moments, for sure, because it's completely unexpected. And I think the way the actress portrays it, she's quite straight laced as she's singing it as well and I think that makes the moment even funnier and especially then when the uh, headmaster's reacting to it in a negative way so that's a great moment in it and I think you need that lighter moment before things do take a sinister turn uh, later on and the songs are very well crafted one of my favorite ones is like an ensemble number um, human voice I believe that's what it's called and I think yeah that is my favorite song because I think you get to see the sides of all the characters and what they're experiencing through it. The thing with these characters, they're so well written and you do feel for them throughout the movie. And I think that's why it packs more of a punch, like when uh, devastating things happen to them, because you've grown to care for them throughout the film. Specifically, obviously we'll go into spoilers, but Anna's best friend, John, he's like a really nice guy and obviously... He harbours feelings for her, but she friend zones him, essentially. But they've got this really sweet friendship. And then when things take quite a tragic turn there, it is, um, yeah, it's definitely on the emotional side. Yeah, nice people die in this movie. Quite a lot of nice people die in this movie. So it's not got a lot of sentimentality when it comes to its characters. And some of the people you think are going to make it to the end clearly don't. <laughs> Certainly... It wears its zombie credentials on its sleeve. Sometimes, in obvious ways, there's kind of Shaun of the Dead nods here and there. But there's also some fairly subtle ones. There's a character in the school called Mrs. Hinsman. Very sneaky reference to Night of the Living Dead, that because the original zombie in the graveyard in Night of the Living Dead was played by Bill Hinsman. So, got quite a lot of clever references if you're into the zombie genre. Again, with the songs. It's very much musical splatter theatre, basically. And 
you've got the sort of big bombastic numbers like uh, there's one called Soldier of War where one of the characters is saying how great he is at killing zombies but then you've got slightly more thoughtful numbers like Human Voice and then you've got very brief comedy moments like The Fish Rap where you've got two high school students dressed as penguins doing this rap about how much they like fish. <laughs> yeah, again, um, that is a quite funny moment in it and later on it does become a bit more poignant because these uh, penguins do succumb to the zombie attack so we get to see people in fancy dressed costumes turn into zombies so I think that's pretty fun yeah it's like nobody is safe in this film and obviously if it's taken inspiration from Buffy the Vampire Slayer that was the core of that show it's like anyone could die at any time nobody was fully safe in it and, and I think What's great about Anna and the Apocalypse is it does take risks. I mean, I think people would have still enjoyed it either way if the main characters had survived the ordeal of it. But I think, yeah, it really does pack more of a punch and just emotionally affects you and resonates with you more after seeing how she's essentially more or less left alone by the end of it. There's a couple of survivors along with her, but she's lost so much. And that's why, even though it tries to offer a glimmer of hope, it's still the thought of, like, she's lost her father, her mother's died off-screen, she's grown up without her mother's influence, and then she's lost her best friend, and then other friends have been killed. And it's like, it, it is very downbeat. It slots in very nicely with other non-musical entries in the zombie genre, it doesn't pull its punches when it comes to wiping out most of its cast. At the same time, it's got a fairly tongue-in-cheek sense of humour, and it's not too gory. There's some slightly gruesome bits, but it's more comedic than anything else, and the comedic tone is pretty much summed up by Paul Kay as the world's most evil headmaster, and... He's really the pantomime bad guy in this piece because he's hissably bad. You want something really awful to happen to him at the end because he's just horrible to absolutely everybody. Paul Kay looks like he's having a really good time playing this character. And why not? Because he gets some of the best lines and he just gets to behave awfully during the entire movie. And he does get a couple of, uh, of outrageous musical numbers as well, which he gives vent to his feelings about how much he hates well, everybody really. He doesn't just hate the kids, he hates the parents, he hates absolutely everybody. It's interesting that they do shy away from the traditional romantic subplot where the best friend, yes, he's carrying a torch for her, but they fairly brutally kill him off about so maybe two-thirds of the way through, leaving the way for the character of Nick, who's not a particularly nice guy when you get to know him, but it's quite an interesting relationship that has developed between Anna and Nick because she has obviously slept with him before. The plot makes it fairly clear that that's happened and he's really not um, reacted well to her feelings for him. And so there's tension between them. And it's kind of unresolved as well. They don't really go down the route of, are they going to get together, aren't they? They just leave that unsaid which I thought was quite good because you don't really get a pat ending between the two of those. Also, you've got secondary characters who you feel for as well. There's one character called Chris and you really do feel for him because he spends 
most of the movie trying to locate his girlfriend and the rest of his family and gets more and more hopeless as it goes along to the point where he has to snatch his phone from an attacking zombie because he said the phone has got everything that's about his life. He says he needs the phone because all the photos of the people he loves are on it. So it it does does hit some quite poignant notes, this movie. And it's a movie that I think people might get thrown by the shifts in what it's trying to be because it's funny, but it's also full of songs and it's also got some horror elements. Now, I think horror fans are more forgiving internal shifts. I think people that like their comedy and horror on the lighter side might get a little bit thrown by this because it does pull out a couple of really nasty moments. But at the same time, it's quite a bold step to go all out with all three elements. It doesn't always work. I don't think the relationship between Anna and Nick is fully developed. I think it's a bit cliched. It's the only thing about the movie I do find a bit cliched because the rest of it goes off on some really interesting directions. And just for me to carp on about one element of the movie doesn't mean that I didn't really enjoy it because I did. Yeah, and I think the film obviously establishes quite early on with the song Hollywood ending that this is not going to be a conventional film. Expect the unexpected. We're not going to give you all the romance at the end of the movie and it's not going to be a case where good wins over evil necessarily. It does to a, to a degree, but again, you know, it kind of ends on a, not a cliffhanger as such, but it it's kind of open-ended because there's still zombies lurking around everywhere and the world has just changed from what we knew of it. The film kind of tells you early on, don't expect this to kind of go in the way that most Hollywood musicals and romantic films or I suppose even horror movies do. But yeah, I agree with what you say about horror fans are more open-minded to the kind of tonal shifts in movies like this because we're just kind of open to the genre and the genre is so versatile and inventive in what it does. And this is a perfect example of that because I think when we saw it in the festival lineup at Abattoir, it was something so different to what else had been played. But for the tone of the festival, it was the great way to end it in terms of the film lineup because it's a musical and something to put a smile on people's faces. But again, it does have that bleakness to it, which does pull out your heartstrings. Yeah, it's a good closer for a festival because it's memorable it's not like a lot of other stuff out there and it does have that joyful playful edge to it even though it's tempered by some fairly dark stuff in the original theatrical cut that we both saw there was a song missing which we have seen by viewing it on various platforms i saw it on shudder you saw it on prime but there is a song called which side are you on in which Anna's dad Tony and evil headmaster Arthur face off over their decision about whether they should stay in the school or go out and try and find everybody. And when I was watching it again on Shudder, I was thinking, I don't remember this song. And then when I actually looked up a bit about it, I thought, ah, the reason I don't remember it is because it wasn't in the theatrical cut. It's in the extended one. Now, I can see why they cut it out of the theatrical cut. I wouldn't say it's a song too many because it isn't, but they've already established the antagonism between Tony and Arthur and the song just cements that. So 
if you wanted to cut it for time, then that would be the song that would have to go. It only adds a few minutes to the proceedings and the theatrical cut and the extended cut are not massively different in runtime. But I guess if you're wanting to cut it down to a kind of an hour 35, then something's got to go. And I can see why they kicked this song into touch originally. But it isn't a bad song. It's less memorable than the other songs, though, I have to say. That's interesting. So the version that I watched on Prime didn't include this song. Oh, did it not? Um, so okay. it also, no, it did not. No, it, it threw me a bit when I was researching for the purpose of the episode and I read about it. I was At first I was thinking, oh, have they cut the villain song? Because there is a villain song sung by Paul Kay near the end. It's something like Nothing's Gonna Stop Me Now. It's yeah. a very pantomime and villainous quality to it. I haven't actually seen this extra number so i'm definitely going to go and try and check it out see if there's a clip on youtube perhaps just to kind of see how it kind of fits in with the film but i know what you mean i suppose it wasn't entirely necessary because as you say that they established the tension between those characters incredibly well we get the gist of exactly what's going on without having to have a, a musical number shoved in our faces so i think that's that's fair enough that they cut that Originally as well, there was a plan to have a full musical opening scene and it was to feature drunk Santa stumbling through the town centre while the people around him sung What a Time to Be Alive. This would also feature several minor characters before they were infected. However, the scene was cancelled halfway through shooting due to poor weather conditions. So I believe this movie was shot up in Scotland, am I right there? You're right, yes, it was shot in various locations around Scotland. So I guess the weather is a consideration up there. Yeah. But the location they've used, the cinematography is fantastic in it. And you get so many different locations as well. You've got kind of the mundane school and the uh, housing estate. And then you do get some more kind of open locations as well with some nice scenery in there, even though it feels all a bit misty and cold and bleak at times as well. But yeah, there's some great cinematography in the film and, you know, obviously all the Christmas elements as well. We can't ignore that because it's got all the... Christmas iconography that you can imagine in this genre of film. And, of course, Anna's weapon of choice is a candy cane, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and there's a fight in A Christmas Wonderland as well, and there's lots and lots of trappings about the festive season, so it does qualify as a Christmas movie, even though it's a Christmas movie where people are getting disemboweled and having their heads knocked off by seesaws and things like that. It's still festive, it counts, This is the sort of movie that I think was a bit of a festival, darling. And I think people still kind of talk about it these days, but it seems to have dropped off the radar a little bit. And there's not a lot of festive, horror, comedy, romantic musicals out there. So I think this is time for people to dust off their copies of Anna and the Apocalypse or seek out a copy and then give it a watch because it's... A combination of things that probably shouldn't work, but they all do. Yeah, it's definitely a great addition to your horror Christmas watching, because I know everybody has their classics and go-to movies at this time of year, like Black Christmas and the like. But I think as a modern classic, if I can call it that, I think it definitely needs to fit in there. Because as you say, it's so it's so different and inventive. There's nothing else like it with that's like mixing all those genres together, especially within the realm of Christmas film. This film is is something special about it. As I say, all the performances are fantastic. I think standout for me would be Sarah Swire, who plays Steph. 
I believe she's an American character who has been abandoned by her parents and is having to deal with all the uh, growing pains. And they don't really have to spell it out as such or, or bring it in your face, but obviously she's the gay character in this film. And so she's got that kind of inner battle between fitting in in this new new school, um, fitting in with these new friends, dealing with her sexuality, dealing with how she feels about herself. And then, of course, we've got the zombie apocalypse on top of that. And I think that she's a more interesting character than Anna in a lot of ways as well. There's more layers to her. Anna is very good. Ella Hunt is brilliant in the lead role. It is, again, a still a standout performance. And Malcolm coming as John, I really like the dynamic between John and Anna, as I said previously. So, yeah, there's, there's so many standout. And then, of course, Mark Benton, he's got a fantastic voice. Again, he's an actor that you probably see pop up in quite a lot of British dramas and, as I talked about before, Waterloo Road, mm. and he was in that as well. So, <laughs> so it's like that connection there. It's, um, yeah, a great cast of characters, really great performers, and I haven't actually seen many of them in anything since, so hopefully that we'll get to see their talents thrive a bit more in their future movies or TV. And also, for fans of cult Scottish comedy series Burniston, there's a small role for Kirsty Strain, who's one of the teachers at the school. So if you're a Burniston fan, which I am, then it's nice to see her, even though she's only in for like a few seconds. I do agree with the performance of the movie being Sarah Swayers. Steph is probably the strongest character there. And she's a stronger character for sort of dipping in and out of the proceedings because she's there at the pivotal moments, but she's kept in the background just long enough so that you're not really sure where she's going or what she's doing and it's right about the sexuality it doesn't need to be writ large on the screen you can just have a character that happens to be gay and it doesn't need to be drawn attention to in such a way it just happens to be part of who she is and she's probably the most kick-ass person in the movie because you get very macho guys running around hitting zombies with baseball bats but she's the real driving force in getting people to where they want to be and in the end she does come through spoiler alert again mark benton yeah agree what a voice they kind of keep it under wraps for quite a lot of the movie but when they give him his big musical number towards the end yeah great voice lovely set of pipes on mark there because it's quite an emotional moment as well at the end where he's kind of sprawled out and the zombies are closing in on him. It knows how to pull at the heartstrings, this movie, but it also knows how to give you a good laugh as well. For example, you've got people looking at people taking photos of the zombie apocalypse with the hashtag evac selfie. And one of the characters says, oh, there's just no hope for anybody. And it's true. I mean, you'd still get people taking selfies in a zombie apocalypse i can't say that people wouldn't because they would everybody takes selfies everywhere even in a, such a dire situation as that so it's got a few things to say about how people would react in a zombie apocalypse as all zombie films do people don't sing in many zombie films but they do in this one and it's quite a welcome break from the zombie action where somebody suddenly bursts into song it's still unexpected now and I, I I mean, I love this film. It's really fun. I guess that it's my version of fun because it's still a zombie movie in which quite a lot of people die. But that's my version of fun. 
yeah no I completely get what you mean and I think quite a few people who listen to this podcast are on the same page as us as well so <laughs> so I can I think there'll be a lot of love for this film from the audience that it's aimed at but again yeah as as we've said like drawing the parallels with Buffy of course in Buffy she had a gang of friends that were so dynamic and interesting that had their own storylines and this very much incorporates that as well so you know we have to have this hero at the focal point but everybody around her they're not Deadwood by any means. They're all really well-written characters and all bring something to the table. So this is very much an ensemble piece, which is great. And for me, who's someone who's not the biggest fan of the zombie subgenre, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm not really sorry. It's just my, my, my personal opinion. I get quite bored with zombie films, but with this, I didn't get bored at all because it's got all those fun elements to it. It's well-written. I mean, the zombie elements of it is the backdrop that's, the setting but it's about how these survivors cope with what's going on around them and especially their young people as well and I think it's great to feature such young people in horror and have the whole allegory for growing up it's a coming of age movie as well in a lot of ways so it's got a, a lot going for Anna and the Apocalypse and I say I think it's a definite must watch every Christmas. Agreed yeah it's, it's nice to see that it is kind of a coming of age allegory as well and like all good zombie films the zombie action has to be there because you need the thrills and you need some of the gore. But the best zombie movies focus on the characters and the situation rather than the zombies themselves. Like you say, the zombies are the backdrop. They don't need to be the story. And it, this works. On paper, if you saw this, you'd just think, what the hell's going on here? And some of the bits of the movie, you do think, what the hell's going on here? But it's in a good way. And everything pretty much lands in this movie i know some people will just say that it veers too far from one extreme to the other but if you're willing to take that and i think a lot of people will be willing to take that then i think you'll have a good time with this movie and there's some catchy tunes in there yeah they'll definitely get stuck in your head and to the point where on a side note, I am a Zumba instructor uh, in my free time and uh, I have created a Christmas routine that I do every year to Christmas Means Nothing Without You, which is the opening song of the film. So that song isn't sang by any characters. It's just the opening number that kicks off the movie. So, and it's a really catchy song. And I thought, you know, everyone's going to be going for Mariah Carey, but no, I'm going to pick something a bit more obscure. So I'm very proud of that fact. Yeah, I think that it needs to be on more Christmas playlists, this one. I've got nothing against Mariah Carey, and I think All I Want For Christmas Is You is a great song, but this needs some love as well. So how much love does this get in terms of scores on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes? So it has a 6 out of 10 on IMDb, which I think is a little low, and then it has a 77% tomato meter and 62% audience score. So even the critics enjoyed this quite a bit, which is great to see. I say it's just something a bit different and it's clever and inventive and it's a lot of fun. It'll make you laugh and make you cry in equal measure. And like, what more do you want for Christmas? Exactly. And it does deserve some sort of award for the line, this isn't Disney. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 85 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to check out more of our content, you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. 
where we'll continually update you about all upcoming episodes and you can also check out our past episodes if you haven't already so second movie in our merry podmas series we're taking a bit of a step away from the horror genre it's horror of a different kind as the christmas season comes to bite mila kunis and her friends we're returning to the Bad Moms universe with a Bad Moms Christmas. You've got to have a light-hearted film at Christmas time, and I think this is quite a fun pick because it's switch your brain off and enjoyable and a bit crazy and wacky. So stay tuned until the next episode, and I hope you enjoy a Bad Moms Christmas, which is coming up very soon. And I will not be saying anything about Catherine Hahn, honest. Until then. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes, and Podbean.